Well, this morning we have the privilege uh, for our scripture reading to hear from uh, Ruth Horn. Ruth is, uh, she's a part, been a part of our church for many, many years, and she is taking a gap year, and she's in uh, Greece right now, in an island off of Greece called the Skopelos Islands. I hope I said that right. And so we asked Ruth if she would be willing to read our scripture, which is from uh, Ephesians chapter 5, starting from verse 1 through to 20. And as you can see on the map on the screen here, uh, she is not very far. In fact, she'll tell you she's 335 kilometers, which is pretty incredible uh, that we get to hear her read uh, from the area which uh, Paul was doing so much of his uh, kingdom work and ministry work. And so um, just a quick note that I'm going to take over the reading at some point because um, unfortunately the wind swept out her voice and it was just completely inaudible. And so she's going to read the first eight verses and then I'm going to pick it up at verse nine. Hi, my name's Ruth and right now I'm in Skopelos Island, which is in Greece. Uh, it's part of the Sparades Islands in Greece. It's about 335 kilometers from Ephesus. So we're going to read from Ephesians 5, verses 1 to 20. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of such kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, Im impure, or greedy person, such as a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with their empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Mention what the disobedience do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, and, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Allison Pinches, and I'm one of the pastoral staff here at Courtright. I'd encourage you to have your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 5 because we will be referring to it throughout our time this morning. And if you're not sure where that is, you can Google it. Ephesians chapter 5. So let's see. Fornicind or greed must not even be mentioned among you, and it is shameful even to mention what such people do secretly. Well, 
uh, if it can't be mentioned, I guess that's going to make for a really short sermon. So, um, yeah, Alex, I think we're ahead of schedule. Okay, just kidding. <laughs> we do have some things to talk about here. And just a quick heads up for families, as you may have noticed from the reading, we will touch on some difficult things. But in particular, we're going to talk about love, light, gratitude, and praise. Would you pray with me? Father God, would you open our eyes to see and our ears to hear the truth that you would have for us this morning? And God, I pray that we would truly be changed for encountering you in your living word this morning. Would you lead us more into your likeness and into the fullness of the new life that you offer us in Jesus? For we ask this in your name. Amen. So we really should have ended the sermons the past couple weeks with a to-be-continued sign. We've been looking at the second half of the Apostle Paul's letter to the new believers who he had been with in the city of Ephesus. The second half of this letter begins in chapter 4, and the beginning of chapter 4 is really important. We need to keep it in mind as it undergirds all of what we will look at today. Paul says, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with one another, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Now, the passage that Ruth just read for us is one of those passages that can be used to beat people over the head with a message of moral superiority. And that is not Paul's point. He begins this whole section anchored in love, and Paul implores them to live fully, 100%, into the newness and beauty of the life they have entered into in Jesus. So last week, Paul continued this theme in chapter 4, verse 21. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. We have a couple of families in our congregation who moved this summer, Claire and Dan Lavero and Lisa and Leandro Bastos. And both of these families were super excited to move into their new spaces. They both felt their new homes would be better for their families and great places to live. So, it would have been really strange if they started going back and trying to live at their old houses. Can you imagine showing up at the old place and just making dinner because the kitchen was familiar? Or stopping by to use the bathroom because you really liked the feel of the old toilet? No one would do that. It doesn't make sense. And so Paul is saying it makes no sense to live in the way you used to live or to live the way that people who don't know Jesus live. You don't live in that house anymore. Why would you go there? Or, as Pastor Alex said, you wouldn't come home from a really intense workout and throw your sweaty clothes on the bathroom floor while you take a really nice hot shower and then step out of the shower all clean and fresh and then put on your damp, clammy workout clothes back on. Paul is pointing out how absurd it is when you are filled with the Spirit and walk with God to live in ways that are not in line with God and His kingdom. Paul starts our passage today by saying, be imitators of God. Be just like him. As beloved children of God, act like him. Now, some of us in Western culture cringe when we realize we sound just like our moms or dads. 
But in most other cultures, it's an honor to be like your parents. It's a good thing, Paul says, to follow in your father's footsteps. Be like him. Do what he does. Like the things he likes. And what is the example to follow? Live in love as Christ loved us. The word for love here is agape love, which describes the kind of love that puts the needs of others before your own. As Christ loved us, agape loved us, and gave himself up for us. That's the example we follow. And it's only possible because we are new creations. The old self is gone. As Pastor Alex has been saying, Paul's letter to the Ephesians isn't about being nice. It's about being new. We are new, Paul says. So live like it. Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. From that beautiful, humbling, inspiring picture of self-sacrifice, we switch gears, and the change is jarring. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God and of Christ. Sexual immorality, impurity, greed, not even a hint of these. These things are in direct contrast with the love that we just talked about, that love that puts others' needs ahead of our own. Instead, these are all about self-indulgence, about filling ourselves with the things we crave. Me and my, and my urges are the focus without the thought of well-being for others. Now, the Ephesians were steeped in a sensual culture, a culture that encouraged all kinds of, satisfying all kinds of urges. As N.T. Wright explains, casual sex and all kinds of curious practices associated with it seem to have flourished. In that world, as in ours, people saw no need for restraint. Many, indeed, went a stage further, and some religions included sexual practices among their rituals. Paul sees this as an enormous concern for the new believers and is calling them to a new sexual ethic, one that was in such contrast to the rampant sexual behavior of the Greco-Roman culture. Now, as we get further into what Paul is saying, it's critical for us to remember that this passage is way more about who you are than about what you shouldn't do. I'm going to say that again. This passage is way more about who you are than about what you shouldn't do. We can easily get caught up in the don'ts in this passage. And I'm concerned that this passage has been used to hit people with a code of ethics void of a relationship. It's all about the relationship. It's all about being connected with Jesus and being like him. And Paul says that will affect how you live and how you behave. It's not so much about getting people to behave in a certain way. It's not a list of rules to check off, and it's not a way to feel morally superior because you don't check any off the list. This passage is way more about who you are than about what you shouldn't do. 
Now, I wrote out a list of all the things that Paul says not to do, because he is very clear about not doing some things. And then I wrote out a list of all the things in this passage he calls us to be and do. And the list of be and do in this passage is much longer than the list of don'ts. But Paul does get specific with us, with some don'ts. And why does he get specific? Well, because when it's specific, it hurts. If he just said, don't do bad things, we'd go, okay, sure. But when he names things, specific things, uncomfortable things, and we find ourselves in the things he names, it stings. And it's meant to. Not to leave you in shame or guilt, but like all pain, it serves to tell you to change your action. Remove your hand from the hot stove. This is going to hurt you more, so quick, pull away. It's that kind of pain. Sexual immorality, impurity, greed, which is an intense, selfish desire for something, and Paul calls it idolatry when satisfying that desire becomes more important than walking with God. And later, Paul adds to this getting drunk. Paul says these things and anything to do with them have no place in the life of a Christian. That's not part of this new house you live in. There may have been a room for that at the old house, but not here. Sexual immorality, lust, pornography, those may have been part of the clothes you used to wear, but Paul says, take off those clothes and live in the new clothes you have been given. Paul even says there is no room for you to joke about those things or speak crudely about them. Now, some hear that and think that God is against sex. Nothing could be further from the truth. Not only did God create sex and sexuality and made it part of who we are, but he thinks so highly of it, it is not to be cheapened, either with crude jokes or by experiencing it in any way other than what it was intended for in marriage. It's too important, too sacred, too special. It says, I belong fully to you and you belong fully to me. And to cheapen that, either with an experience or with our language, this has no place in the lives of people walking with God. Anything less is a cheap substitute that deceives us into thinking we are experiencing the fullness of this when God says, no, there is so much more for you. Now, the don'ts in this passage are a sign. The point of a sign is not the sign itself, but rather the reality beyond, which to, uh, beyond the sign to which it points. A stop sign holds no inherent power. It's just a red hexagon with four letters. And if we drive along and just think, oh, red hexagon, four letters, we are not understanding its intended purpose. The real power and value of a sign is that it points to something beyond the physical sign. It points to an action. In this case, to stop, which keeps people safe. So likewise, this list of things to stay away from has no life in itself, but the list points to a new reality. It points to a way of life that is for our good. When you don't look past the list of don'ts and you only see the list, you miss the whole picture to which they point. Again, it's not so much about the behaviors themselves as it is living a fully integrated life as a whole person in the newness, joy, and abundance of the life God has already given you. And there's just no room in this new life for the old stuff. I didn't realize initially why Paul goes on next to talk about light. But the deeper I dug into this passage, the more it started to make sense. 
What he has just done in naming these specific things, sexual immorality, impurity, greed, obscene, foolish, and coarse joking, and getting drunk, what he's done in naming them, in saying them aloud, is to shine a flashlight on them. He's bringing them into the light. The light and the power it has to expose is not something we need to fear. Hearing that list for some may have been difficult, and the Spirit may be bringing something to the surface that needs to be dealt with. And that is exactly what it means to bring something to the light. God's Spirit nudges or prods us about something, and the best way to bring something to the light is to share it with another believer or a group of believers and ask for prayer. It sounds so simple, so innocuous, but time and time again, I have seen incredible power when things are brought out to the open in this way. Light is incredibly powerful. Recently, my daughter Zoe and I did a fun art project at the cottage. We used an old method for processing photos and making blueprints. So we made the darkest space we could in a corner of the basement, and then we dipped some white pieces of cloth in a chemical solution. When they were dry, we put the cloth out in the sun, and we placed various things on top, and the sun exposed the cloth like a photo, leaving an impression from the object. I brought a couple examples for you to see. So this is some daisies. <laughs> and this was done by my all-time favorite artist, who just happens to love narwhals. <laughs> so when they were dry, we put them, like I said, out in the sun, placed the things on top, and the sun exposed the photos. Now, we didn't really know what we were doing, so when we brought up the first cloth to the deck, I was trying to unfold the cloth and spread it out as quickly as I possibly could. But while I was unfolding it, it was turning from yellow to dark blue. It happened so fast that by the time we placed the objects on top, the cloth was already inky black. We saw before our eyes the very power of the light. So for the next ones, we learned to prepare them in the basement first, then cover them with a black garbage bag to bring them upstairs, because the second the light touched it, it was changed. I love houseplants, and I had a plant on the mantle of my living room for months, but it just didn't seem to be doing very well. And I had another one just like it across the room that was doing great. So one day, I took the plant off the mantle and put it across the room where it could see a little bit more of the sky, and it flourished. One of my former students has become something of a houseplant expert and has over 500,000 followers on Instagram. He's always preaching about light in his houseplant posts. He said this recently, Total light received is what dictates the growth potential of the plant. Your actions, watering, fertilizing, repotting, can only realize that potential. So what light situation has this plant been living in, he asks. Light is incredibly powerful. When I have shared or watched others share something they have been struggling with, it really is as powerful as that cloth turning black in the sunlight or the plant coming to life with better light. Now, the work will not be done in an instant. That likely will take a long time. And to borrow a phrase, will require a long obedience in the same direction. But there is something that changes in an instant. The enemy loves to use our sin and the places of shame to keep us bound in guilt and more shame. And when we share things with one another, that power 
is broken. When we confess and receive forgiveness from God before one another, shame and sin does not have the same grip on us anymore. We are no longer bearing it in secret in the dark places. The light has shone in and the chains are loosened. There truly is power in bringing things to the light of another person. Zoe and I started talking one day about something that was hard that she wasn't sure she wanted to tell me. And we talked about holding on to something being like wearing a backpack and having to carry it around all by yourself. But when you tell someone else, you get to take the backpack off and someone else helps you carry it. Mike Vasey recently told me this story. Mike works at a gas station, and a couple weeks ago, he saw a lady pull in for gas. In his usual Mike way, he asked her how her day was. And Mike has this way of asking that lets people know he genuinely wants to know. She went on to tell him some of her story, of her partner who was dealing with an addiction, about her desperation and mental health challenges, about how the money in her hand was all she had left. She told him about her hopelessness and about how if she didn't have her child in the car, she would likely have committed suicide and how she was still contemplating it. Mike sympathized deeply with her and could speak from a place of experience. There truly was hope that things could get better. And as he talked, he asked if he could pray for her and he did. And afterwards, she looked at him and said, you saved my life. You really saved my life. Now, what's even more remarkable was this is not the first time that's happened for Mike. I've lost track of how many times people have said, you've saved my life, while they stood beside him at the gas pump. That is the power of something being brought to the light. Mike has the Spirit of God within him. And because of this, Paul says, you are light. Mike is light. And the very act of naming what was kept in secret to Mike, who is the light of Christ, had immense power. Remember the story of Zacchaeus, the hated tax collector who had cheated people out of money? All Jesus did was show up at his house. The light came in, and his immediate reaction was change. I'll give it all back and more, he says. Just like how our cloth at the cottage exposed to light immediately changed color. Paul doesn't say you were in darkness. Now you are in the light. He takes it a step further. He says you were darkness. Now you are light. Paul says, be part of the things that are part of the light. Think about things that are part of the light. Fill yourself with things that are bright. Paul says in Philippians, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, we do have to be careful when we confess before one another. I know I was joking at the beginning, but Paul's not when he says, don't even mention it. He also says, right in the same line, that things must be exposed. They must be brought to the light. They must be named. That's what he's doing in this passage. But he is saying that we should not dwell on these things. An example of this might be a men's accountability group that meets and regularly confesses their addictions and struggles with pornography. But instead of spurring one another on to live in the newness of life in Christ, to be different, to be whole, 
they end up just making each other feel better. You messed up? Oh, I did too. Okay, now I feel better. Paul says, don't even speak about these things. Don't dwell on them. And pornography is a good example of this. What I learned walking with many students, male and female, through struggles with pornography, is that talking a lot about pornography is actually not that helpful. It's like saying, okay, we're not gonna talk about elephants. Whatever we do, we're not gonna mention elephants or think about elephants. Of course, all you can do is think about elephants. Paul says, don't dwell on these things. Don't add fuel to the fire. Yes, name them. Yes, confess them. Yes, bring them to the light. But don't dwell on them. The behavior is not the primary problem here. It's only a symptom that points to a deeper problem. So if you only address the behavior at the surface level, just stop it. You won't deal with the root of the problem. And the root of the problem is what is the void that is being filled by that habit or pattern or thought? That behavior or thought or speaking in that way serves a purpose. Otherwise, you wouldn't actually do it. So what purpose does that behavior serve? How does it make me feel about myself? What is that vice serving? It's feeding something or it wouldn't stay alive. And what underlies that? A desire to be known and loved? To feel safe and secure? To know who we are? Whatever it is, that underlying desire is not wrong. It's just found an outlet that on the one hand makes us feel better, and on the other hand makes us feel much worse. If you let it, the light exposes all those things. And God does not expose those things to leave you in shame or make you feel crappy or leave you there. Those things are exposed so you can walk in love, so you can experience healing, forgiveness, wholeness, so you can have those genuine desires met in ways that are for your flourishing and not for your destruction. Another thing the light exposes is a lie. When we just look at a list of behaviors, at the things not to do, especially if they're things we enjoy, things that make us feel good, it can make us wonder why God wouldn't want us to have that. We think God must be holding out on us. God's like a parent that takes us into a candy shop and says, now don't eat any of the candy. Don't even look at it or talk about the candy. We feel like there's something good out there that he doesn't want us to have. And this, friends, this lie is as old as the earth. It's the serpent's lie. It's his subtle suasive that he says to Eve, did God really say you couldn't eat from any tree in the garden? The serpent is twisting God's words that they could eat from any tree except one into, so you really can't eat anything? What he is implying is that God is holding out on you, that he has something good that he doesn't want you to experience. He wants you to go without something fun, something enjoyable, something you think you need. And at the heart of this is another question. Is God even good? If he's holding out on you, if he doesn't want you to enjoy, is God really that good? Do you really want to have anything to do with him? But this is totally twisted and wrong in every way. All of the creation story, and in fact, the whole witness of the Bible, tells us that God is a loving God. Being created by God means that we have a creator, someone that made us. Someone that thought us up. Someone that figured out how we would work. That decided what we would need and how we would function. It also means that the creator is the expert on what's best for his creatures. God wants us to fully live, to enjoy life, to have fun, to live in wholeness and health and to flourish. 
He made us for the light, not the plant that sits on the shelf and withers, but the plant in the window where it grows and reproduces more life. When we are called to live in a certain way, to be something, to do something, and to not do something, it's not punishment. It's not deprivation. It's not God being a spoil sport and not wanting us to have any fun. No, just the opposite. It's him saying, this is how to live. Jesus himself says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Let me help you know how to live that. So Paul gives us not one but two secret weapons for this, two antidotes for the pursuit of indulgence. And it's almost so simple we miss it. In verse 4, he says, Instead of all those other things, let there be thanksgiving. And again in verse 20, Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why is thanksgiving or being thankful the antidote? Because when we are thankful, we are paying attention to what we already have rather than longing for what we don't. Instead of thinking about all the ways we would like to be satisfied, we are remembering all the ways we are. It flips our focus upside down from what more could I get to gratitude for all I have. The secret weapon is connected, uh, the second secret weapon is connected to the first, and that is praise. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Singing is an outer expression of inner joy. It's a mirror into the state of our heart. When I've been having a hard time in my relationship with God, I have found it hard to sing. And at other times, our hearts can't help but spill out into song. But Paul says, be filled with the Spirit as you sing. So not only is singing an expression of the Spirit in our hearts, but it's an opportunity for the Spirit to change our hearts. One of John Wesley's rules for worship essentially says, just sing and see what happens to your heart when you do. Many of us are missing singing together, and it's actually really appropriate to miss that. Singing together is not just a nice thing we do or perhaps a weird Christian thing, but in singing over one another, we are filled and being filled with God's Spirit, and we are reminding one another who God is. We are assuming our intended posture of speaking, singing, knowing, learning the truth about who God is. That's what praise is. We remind one another about what's true about God and therefore what's true about us. And when we are in a posture of praise, remembering the truth of who God is and of our belovedness as children of a protective father, God pours into the cracks and voids and holes in our hearts the very ones we would look to be filled in other ways and offers a balm of healing, of wholeness, of truth that is for our flourishing. Amen. Praise be to God. Father God, I pray that you would do this good work among us. God, would you move us out of darkness and into light? Would you move us more in step with your spirit? Would you help us to truly imitate you so that we can experience the fullness of the life that you offer? For we ask all this and pray it in your name, Jesus.